we continue in the Word this morning, we are in a series this summer called Wisdom for Life, and we, we are talking together about how uh, God's wisdom empowers us uh, for rightful, delightful living. And so I thought I'd share another story this morning as we're here in these chapters in Proverbs. Each one of these chapters begins with something along the lines of, my son, listen to my instruction. My, my son, heed my words. My son, listen up. I got some important stuff to, uh, to tell you. And, and I've been thinking a lot about some of the instruction that my own father gave me and how sometimes I listened, but more often than not, uh, unfortunately, I did not and, and paid the price. I told you last week about my encounter with our blue Ford riding lawnmower and uh, the interaction between that lawnmower and our garage door on one fateful day. Uh, but that wasn't the only blue vehicle that I had some episodes with growing up. We also had a, a blue Dodge Caravan. Now, there is no greater family vehicle than the Dodge Caravan. I know some of you grew up in the station wagon era, but for me, Growing up, the, the family vehicle was this blue Dodge Caravan, and my favorite trip to take in that Dodge Caravan was from our home in Winchester all the way across the state to Kentucky Lake, where my grandmother and grandfather lived right there on the lake, an area not unlike Breckenridge County and the lake part of our, of our community. Uh, other than that, uh, Marshall County is very much a farming community, but then they have the lake area, and that is where my my grandparents lived, and I loved to go there and get out on the boat and enjoy uh, the lake. And, and one particular year, when I turned 16, uh, there was this crazy law in the state of Kentucky that when you turned 16, the day after your birthday, you could go and get your driver's permit. And then one month later, after you had become a professional driver, as I had, one month later, you could go and get your license. Like, no intermediate, no, like, people have to ride with you. Like, you got your permit the day after your 16th birthday, and you got your license one month later. Who, who remembers those days? Okay, that was lunacy, by the way. Uh, that's the reason why I went through three vehicles between my 16th birthday and going off to college. Because I had no idea what I was doing, but I thought that I did because I had a driver's license. And so first trip out of the gate, having my driver's license, we went down to uh, my grandparents' house in, in, in western Kentucky, and I got to take a friend along, which was a big privilege. My, my friend Chris and I, uh, he went with us to uh, our, my grandparents' house, and we had big plans, and the biggest plans we had were we were going to convince my father to let us take out the blue minivan, because there is nothing cooler for teenage boys than to drive around in a blue minivan. And so we spent the entire five-and-a-half-hour trip from Winchester to my grandparents' house trying to convince my dad that we were responsible enough. Chris had been driving all of four months longer than me. And so we were responsible enough. We were, we were professional drivers, and, and we would take great responsibility if he would just let us take the blue Dodge Caravan out on the road. Now, about two days into our time with my grandparents, I think he just finally got sick of hearing us ask, and he relented and said, all right, boys, here's the deal. I'm going to let you take the van out this afternoon, 
And at that moment, our ears cut off for some reason. As soon as you give the yes, you know, parents, how that is. The ears cut off, but I should have listened to the rest of what he had to say. It might have saved me some heartache. He said, but here's two things that, that I want you to make sure that you do. Number one, you are not to leave your grandmother's neighborhood. Now, it's much like some of the lake areas out here, a lot of twists and turns, a lot of side roads. So we weren't really concerned about that. We, we had plenty of room to roam right back there in her neck of the woods there on the Kentucky Lake. And so that was all fine and good. Two thumbs up. Yeah, Dad, we got this. And, and number two, he said, I want you to make sure that you stay on roads that you're familiar with. Now, I had grown up going down there to the lake. I had been all over that part of the area. We used to ride bicycles around in there when we went down to visit them. So I knew a lot of the roads, and I said, it's all good, Dad. I know my way around this place. We won't get lost. This is, by the way, this is pre-cell phone days. And so they had a right to be concerned that we, that we might get uh, off the map, so to speak. And so he says, all right. So he gives us the keys, and we're off. And, man, we are cruising. We are kings behind the wheel of this blue Dodge Caravan and we are just having the time of our lives driving around in my grandmother's neighborhood. And everything went really well for about an hour until, as often happens with teenage boys, uh, our brain began to disconnect from reality. Parents, you've experienced that moment, maybe if you have teenage sons, when their brain, you're going, did, did your brain just shut off somewhere along the way? That's exactly what happened to us. And my friend Chris said to me, he said, hey, Look at that gravel road over there. And, and immediately I should have said, I don't know where that road goes. We ought to not go that way. But instead, the adventurer in me as a 16-year-old boy said, yeah, let's go check that out. And so we take a right turn off of the main drag there onto this gravel road and it was very cool. There were trees down each side. We got back in there a ways, and they were building some new houses back in there. So there actually was civilization here. And we're driving down this gravel road, and there's dust flying behind us, which we think is just extra cool at all of 12 miles an hour. And we're, we're moving along down through there, and all of a sudden, the gravel begins to dissipate. And like many roads in our area, the gravel turns more to dirt, but... Unfortunately, we didn't turn around. We just continued on down the road, and that dirt began to turn into ruts. And we should have turned around. But by this point, it's trees on both sides. We knew we were going to have to throw it in reverse and back up a long ways to be able to turn around. So we just kept pressing on. And then up ahead, about 100 yards down the road, we see blacktop. Like it's, we're saved, we're, we're, it's going to be all right, we can see blacktop, I don't know what road that is, but it's a road, a real blacktopped road, so we just got to make it from here to the blacktop and everything will be good. The only problem is the farther we went down that road, the deeper the ruts got, and then you start to hear this noise of dirt and rocks scraping the bottom of the minivan. That's not a good noise, by the way. But rather than turning around and going the other direction, we just kept pressing on. Surely we can make it. We got within 50 feet of the road. I mean, we were right there. The distance between here and the back wall, we were right there almost to the road when the, finally that blue Dodge Caravan came to a grinding halt, and we were stuck. 
Now, again, this is pre-cell phone days. Not that I would have called my dad in that moment even if I had had a cell phone. And we did everything we could as two 16-year-old boys to get a blue Dodge Caravan out of the ruts in which we had gotten it sorely stuck. We worked on that thing for well over an hour. We were sweating up a storm. We were dirty and filthy as we had tried to shove logs or rocks or anything we could up underneath those tires to gain traction. It was stuck good. And so we had to do the walk of shame, those 50 feet out to the road. We took a left and went down to a house that we had never seen before in our lives. I didn't even know my grandmother's phone number, so we had to get a phone book from this gentleman and look up her number, and then I had to call and confess to my father that I had stuck the minivan in a rut that I never should have been in in the first place. And yes, the end of the story, we got to call the tow truck and all that. And I didn't sit very well for a week, if you take my conclusion there. The truth of the matter is, sometimes we get on the wrong path, don't we? And oftentimes, the wrong path looks really good at the beginning. Just like that gravel road that day, it looked really good to us at the start, or we would never would have taken it. If we had started at the other end of that road where it was all ruts, we never would have turned onto that road. But it's because the beginning of that road, it looked so enticing. This was uncharted territory. This was a place to explore and to find ourselves as young men. We were, we were adventurers in that moment. And yet, by the end of that road, we were stuck in a rut that we couldn't get out of. Have you ever experienced that in life? You started down a path that looked really good and found yourself stuck in a rut. That's what these chapters of Proverbs speak so much about. There are two paths that are going to be presented to us in the coming chapters. One is the path of wisdom that leads to life. And one is the path of wickedness that leads to life. To loss. I've entitled today's message according to the, the key words in this passage. I've entitled it, If, Then, and So. And what King Solomon has done here under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit is he has given for us an argument that wants to get us on the path of wisdom. It's an if, then, so type, type argument. If you go after wisdom, then here's what will result, and this will be the outcome or the, the so what of your life. But if you follow the paths of wickedness, then there will be repercussions, and there will be a very different so what to your life. By the way, if you want to mark your Bible a little bit there, anytime you see the word if, then, or so in Proverbs chapter 2, just underline that. Those are key words that will help you to see what Solomon is driving us toward. We see the word if in verse 1, verse 3, and verse 4. If is the conditions for gaining wisdom. There are conditions given here for gaining wisdom. Things that we are called upon to do in order to walk this wise path. First of all, we must collect wisdom. Verse 1, my son, if you receive my words and treasure up my commandments with you, if you receive and and treasure up, as we said, kids, a minute ago, these, these words of God are a treasure and they're meant to be collected as something that is valuable. 
Now, this is a fairly passive thing here. It's just simply receiving what's been given. That's the picture here. Something has been offered to you. The wisdom of God has been offered to you, and you are called upon merely to receive it. Remember last week we talked about how how wisdom is this bold, beautiful woman who is out in the streets calling out to the masses, saying, come to me and I'll give you wisdom. Come to me and I'll give you insight. It's a beautiful picture of how God is. It's not some guru up in the mountains waiting for us to come and find him. God's wisdom is a bold street preacher out coming after us, offering us wisdom. And he simply says, collect that, receive it, treasure it up, take hold of it, and don't let it go. But it gets a little more active there as we move into verses 2 and 3. Then we find a calling out for wisdom look at verse three yes and if you call out for insight and raise your voice for understanding last week we saw wisdom calling out for us calling out for us to come and to take freely of her riches but this week it's saying and in reciprocal in a reciprocal way you now call out for wisdom it's this cause and effect. It's this, it's this calling out and this response. Wisdom calling out to us and us calling out to her. But then it gets even more active in verse 4 as we see there a chasing down of wisdom. If you seek it like silver, if you search for it as for hidden treasures, If I told everybody in the room right now that somewhere in this room I had hidden $1,000, and the first person that found it, by the way, this is just an illustration, don't go freaking out on me here, but if I told you that I had hidden $1,000 in this room and the first person to find it got to keep it, I doubt many of us would just be sitting back in our chairs going, oh well. No, you'd go after it, right? I mean, $1,000 is a treasure, right? And that's what it should be like for the Word of God. Sometimes we come to the Word of God and we forget that this is a treasure. That this is, a, this is the riches of God given to us. And we are called upon to collect it, to receive it in, in a fairly passive type way. We are called upon at times to call out to God, to pray that He would give to us His wisdom, just like in James chapter 1, which says, if you lack wisdom, ask of God, and He'll give generously to you without finding fault with you. But there are times when we have to get active and go chasing down the wisdom of God. There are times when we have to seek after it like a treasure. There's a fervence there. There's a purposefulness there. An encouragement for us comes in Luke chapter 2, speaking about Jesus as a young man. It says, And Jesus increased in wisdom and in stature and in favor with God and man. By the way, parents in this room... This is something that we pray over our children regularly. This is a verse you can pray over your children. Father, help my children to grow as Jesus grew in wisdom and in stature and in favor with God and with people. Those are, it's a great way to pray for your children and your grandchildren. But it's also a great reminder to us. Think about what this is saying. This is saying that the eternal God who stepped off of heaven's 
throne and into Mary's womb who was born of a virgin and grew up, that he not only grew up physically, but that Jesus learned. The omniscient God of the universe set aside all of his knowledge and became a child so that he was subject to something he had never been subject to before, learning, growing in wisdom. That's an amazing thought, if you'll just take that in for a moment, that the one true and living God, when he took on flesh, he not only took on our physical infirmities, he also took on our lack of knowledge and wisdom so that he grew in wisdom. He learned. He learned how to speak. He learned how to clothe himself. He learned how to eat for himself. In Joseph's shop, certainly he learned some of the elements of carpentry after his father. He grew in learning, and so should we. We should follow in the way of our Lord and seek after knowledge and wisdom to grow. Be lifelong learners, never having arrived, always growing in our understanding. This is the if. If we will go after wisdom, then what will happen? Let's look at the then. Then, the consequences of gaining wisdom. In these verses, in verses 5 through 15, there's a couple of things that you need to understand here, a couple of principles that will help you in, in understanding what Solomon is laying before us. First of all, wisdom is both a quest and a gift. It's both. It's not either or. It's both a quest and a gift. You say, well, where, where do you see that? Look at verse 4. We've already seen this. If you seek it like silver, the it being wisdom, if you search for it as for hidden treasure. So it's a, it's a quest here. It's a search. It's a hunt. It's, a, it's going after wisdom. And yet just two verses later, notice the difference. For the Lord gives wisdom, and from His mouth come knowledge and understanding. So it is a seeking and a searching after wisdom. It is a diving into God's Word and sometimes wrestling with God's Word and sometimes battling with God's Word when we don't understand exactly what we're reading. Sometimes it's praying for God to, to enlighten us to that which He has placed in His Word. But then it's also a reminder that this is a gift from God. Again, James 1, if any of you lacks wisdom, ask of God and He gives generously. He's not stingy with his wisdom. God is not some miser holding back his riches. But he is giving generously to us. Wisdom is both a quest and a gift. Secondly, wisdom is both a guardian and a guide. Look at verse 8. Guarding the paths of justice, watching over the way of his saints. Then you will understand righteousness and justice and equity, every good path. It's both a guardian to keep us from evil, to keep us from wickedness. And sometimes that's where we end. Sometimes when we think about wisdom, we just think about, okay, that's what's going to keep me from the wrong path. That's what's going to keep me from doing the wrong thing. But he's saying here in these verses that are back-to-back, verses 8 and 9, he is saying here it's not just to keep you on the, off the wrong path. 
It's not just to keep you off that gravel road that's got ruts at the end. It's also to set your feet on the right path. Don't miss that. Because if all you hear from God is, don't do this, don't do that, here's the wrong path, here's the gravel road you need to stay away from, if that's all that you get, you're missing out on the grander part of wisdom, which is it's not just keeping you off the wrong path, it's setting you on the right path. And that's what he says there in verse 9. You will understand righteousness and justice and equity every good Path. You might underline those words, every good path. The, the Hebrew there is really interesting. It actually refers to a cow path. Now, those of you that have grown up around cattle, as I did on my grandfather's farm uh, growing up, we saw cattle all the time. They make paths, right? In fact, in many places in eastern Kentucky, if you ever wonder why the roads are so windy there, a lot of times the roads in eastern Kentucky around where I grew up, they followed the cow paths. Why would you do that? Because cows are smart enough to make a good path. They're smart enough to, to walk upon the places where it's going to be solid enough to support their weight. Now, they may meander here and there and everywhere, but generally speaking, if you follow a cow path, it's, it's solid ground. It's been tread underfoot, and it was worthy at some point in many places for those to be paved as, as roads. They would follow the cow path, and that's what he's saying here. Every good path, walk a road that's been proven. Walk in a way that's got some miles upon it already, and it may not look like much. Remember what Jesus said? He said there's two ways you can walk. You can walk the broad path that leads to destruction, or you can walk that narrow way, that little cow path that's been proven. It may not look like much. There may be other roads that are much more enticing. But this one is sure to lead you to a good destination. So wisdom is not just a guardian to keep us from the wrong path. It's a guide to put us on the right path. And then he begins to talk here about this thing called perversity. Let's look at verse 12 delivering you let's start in verse 11 discretion or wisdom will watch over you understanding will guard you delivering you from the way of evil from men of perverted speech who forsake the paths of uprightness to walk in the ways of darkness who rejoice in doing evil and delight in the perverseness of evil twice there we see this word perverse perversity perverseness you say, well, what, what does that word mean? Uh, I love what Danny Aiken said about this word. He said, perverse speech distorts ultimate reality. Their words go against the way things really work, against the natural and God-ordained order of things. Any person who will counsel you in such a way as to justify sin in your life is someone of perverse speech that should be avoided. Young people, take that last line in. I can tell you so many times. That story I shared earlier about my friend Chris and I, that was just a minor incident of the many major incidences in my life when I listened to someone who tried to justify sin in my life and led me along a wrong path. And so as we think about that this morning, 
I want you to think about some of the messages that are being proclaimed in our culture right now that are perverse in this way. When we think about perversity, we all, all, all times think about it in terms of a sexual nature, but it's more than that. It's just a twisted speech. It takes the truth of God and twists it just enough to make it seem really good. It's like that gravel road we saw that day that seemed really good in the beginning, but the end thereof left us in a rut, left us stuck. And so you might hear someone say, today to a woman who's struggling in her marriage, hey, listen, you know, God would really want you to be happy, and so you should leave your husband and look for greener pastures. But then we come to the Word of God, which says that God hates divorce because it's the breaking of the marital covenant. And says so clearly as we walk through the Word of God that yes, God desires our happiness as His people, but never at the expense of our holiness. And so the message, the perverse message of our culture says, well, we all know that God wants us to be happy. And so if you're not happy in this relationship, if you're not happy in this job, if you're not happy in whatever circumstance you find yourself, surely your greatest value must be happiness. And so just get out of the place of unhappiness and go to where happiness looks to be. But here's what you find. That gravel road so often leaves you stuck. Or perhaps the culture says today, well, you should be able to love whoever you want to love. If it's an alternative homosexual lifestyle, surely that must be okay. Because we all know what the Bible says. We know the Bible says God is love. So if you love someone, then it must be all right. And that relationship must have God's seal of approval because it's founded in love. But they forget the fact that it's not, that the Bible says God is love, not love is God. There's a very big difference there. God is the definer of what love is. And he has created marriage as this beautiful union of a man and a woman for life to picture his gospel. But the culture has taken that, which God created, this thing called marriage, and has twisted it into something that it was never meant to be. And it justifies evil deeds that God has said I'm not keeping you from that because I want to keep you under my thumb I'm keeping you from that because that road it leads to destruction and I don't want that for you so often we forget that God is the loving father who disciplines his son as he's seeking to do here in Proverbs chapter 2 and as he seeks to do in our own lives we forget that God is a loving father who disciplines us for our good The Bible says the father disciplines the son that he loves. And if you spare the rod of discipline in the lives of your children, it says literally that you hate your children. Discipline is a good thing when it gets us on the path that we need to be on. And so perversity here is ultimately this. It's a reversal of biblical values. Perversity takes the truth of God and twists it just enough that it's still appealing to us. It still seems right to us. It still sounds right. Everything about it is is enticing or we would never get on that road 
If we saw the ruts to begin with, we never would have gotten on that road. But here God is warning us of the ruts to come. Isaiah 5 describes this way of thinking. Woe to those who call evil good and good evil. There is a huge woe for our society right now, folks. This is rampant. Those who call evil good and good evil. God is the definer. Who, puts, who put darkness for light and light for darkness. Who put bitter for sweet and sweet for bitter. They turn things upside down. Woe to those who are wise in their own eyes. The Bible warns us there's a wisdom of this world. There's a way that seems right to a man, but the end of, thereof leads to destruction. There's not just a rut at the end of that road. There's a cliff. And there will be no stopping when you get to the end and shrewd in their own sight. So we've seen the conditions for gaining wisdom, the if. We've seen the consequences of gaining wisdom, the then. What happens when we gain wisdom, what it leads us into, and what it keeps us from. Let's talk as we finish up this morning about this so. So what? Why should I care? Maybe you're in this room this morning and you're just saying, so what, why should I care about this? I'm doing fine right now. The path that I'm on, even though I know it's not a godly path, the path that I'm on, it seems to be fine. I, I'm happy in it. I don't seem to be doing fine. I don't see any destruction coming. Let me just tell you, if that's where you're at right now, if you're walking that path and you know it's a path opposed to the ways of God, you know your Heavenly Father did not want you, does not want you on this road, you may think that everything's fine right now. Just like my buddy and I did as we were on the gravel. But then there's this point when the gravel dissipates and slowly, little by little, that road turns into ruts. And you're stuck before you know it. And the Bible is calling you to turn around. This is this thing called repentance. Repentance is making a 180 turn and going back in the direction that your father set you on. In the first place. He's the only one that can. So what is the conclusion of gaining wisdom? Let's pick up there in verse 16. And so, you can underline that word there, so you will be delivered from the forbidden woman. Now we're going to hear a lot about this forbidden woman in the chapters to come. This one known as the adulteress, from the adulteress with her smooth words, who forsakes the companion of her youth, who forgets the covenant of her God. By the way, there, I think that's talking about her marriage covenant. She forgets that she bound herself to a husband and seeks to find happiness elsewhere. For her house sinks down to death, her paths to the departed. None who go after her come back, nor do they regain the paths of life. It's speaking here about this issue of adultery, and when we think about that, we automatically tend to think about literal physical adultery, the breaking of the marriage covenant, marital unfaithfulness is what immediately comes to our minds. And yet, and yet, when we look at the Old Testament, I want you to understand that there's something more there. Yes, this is a warning against breaking the marriage covenant. This is, this is a warning to husbands and wives to stay faithful to the one to whom you made those vows, even when it gets hard. We sang earlier, even in the hardest parts, I will follow you. And probably those of us in this room who've been married for very long could say there are some hardest parts in marriage. 
that you continue to walk that road in faithfulness to God even when it's hard. But I want you to see something else that's taking place here because for some in the room you may say, well, I'm not married. How does this apply to me? Or I'm not tempted toward adultery. I'm happy in my marriage and everything's good, so what does this have to say to me? And I, I want you to see something lying behind this. Throughout the Old Testament, the act of, of literal physical adultery is tied in time and time again with spiritual adultery or idolatry, of worshiping of false gods, breaking our covenant relationship with God and worshiping that which is false. Again, and this makes sense if you think about it, God gave the gift of marriage as a representative union of His relationship with us. It says that as Christ loved the church, so a man loves his wife. And as a wife submits to the godly leadership of her husband, so the church submits to Christ. It's a picture of our relationship with God. So the breaking of the marriage covenant is also a picture of the breaking of our relationship with God. So even if you're not married in this room, you could look at this and say, well, this doesn't apply to me. Even if you're not married in this room, if you have a relationship with God, or even if you don't this morning, your Creator says, I desire a relationship with you. I desire to enter into a covenant with you. A God-sized promise that will last an eternity with you. But there are consequences for walking away from that. Both literal and spiritual adultery are deadly. You can just take this to the bank, folks. Both literal and spiritual adultery are deadly. The wages of sin is death. I think so many of us need to have that tattooed on our arm there to remind us, Romans 3.23, the wages of sin is death. That path has a cliff at the end, and you will not. You, know, you think, man, I'm going to stop right before I go over the cliff. You won't be able to stop. It's been proven time and time again. So don't go down that road. C.S. Lewis said there are only two kinds of people in the end. Those who say to God, thy will be done. And those to whom God says in the end, thy will be done. You will either live your life according to the will of God or you will live it according to your own will. That's what C.S. Lewis is saying. And there comes a point, if you persist in the wicked way, running away from the things of God, if you persist in that, there comes a point when God takes his hand of protection off of you. We see it time and time again, both in the scriptures and in real life experience. Romans chapter 1 says three times about those who persist in sin, and God gave them over to what their sinful hearts desired. And so those are some of the scariest words in all of Scripture when God gives us over to what our sinful hearts desire. So let's sum it up this way, similar to where we left off last week. But first of all, let's just say the way of wickedness leads to loss. Verse 22. The wicked will be cut off from the land. The treacherous will be rooted out of it. Two graphic words, cut off and rooted out. 
The second one is like what you do with weeds in your garden. You've got to get those suckers out, not just uh, what you can see above the surface, but you've got to root them out, which means you've got you to drag out the roots too because if you don't, what will happen? It will grow up again, won't it? And that's the picture here. He's saying the wicked, those who reject the ways of God, they're going to be cut off from the land. You say, well, what's he talking about here? The land in the Old Testament always represents the place of God's blessing, the place of being in the center of God's will. For so many generations, the, the people of Abraham, the people of God, those who, who, who walked in the faith of Abraham, they desired a land of their own. They were a nomadic people, and God promised them that, that they would have a land of their own, this promised land. And many generations later, God leads them out of Egypt and into that promised land, and He gives it to them as a gift. And the, and the land itself was a reminder of God's blessing and God's presence among his people and he said as long as you're faithful to me here in the land i'm going to bless you abundantly but when you turn away from me when you go in your own path you do your own thing you think you know better you begin to worship false gods you begin to break this covenant that we have with one another then you'll be rooted out of the land you'll be cut off you'll be cast out and that's what happened to the people of israel the Assyrians came and carried them off into captivity. The Babylonians came and, and cut them off and carried them off into captivity. The Romans came and oppressed them for hundreds of years, even up into the days when Jesus walked the earth. And it was all because, not because God wasn't powerful enough to keep out their enemies, but it was because of their disobedience to the one true and living God. The way of wickedness leads to loss every time. It looks like gain. It's so enticing. It's a pleasant looking path. Until the gravel begins to dissipate and the ruts begin to emerge. Lastly this morning, let's be reminded that it's the way of wisdom that leads to life. Look at verse 21. For the upright will inhabit the land, and those with integrity will remain, and that they will dwell, and that they will live, and there's even a sense there they will prosper in the land. And, and again, the land is the representation of the blessing of God. There will be a, a prosperity there. There will be a joy there. The way of wisdom leads life i'll leave you this morning with colossians chapter 2 the apostle paul writes that their hearts may be encouraged being knit together in love to reach all the riches of full assurance of understanding and the knowledge of god's mystery which is christ in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge and so I'll leave you where I've brought you to every week in this series, and we'll continue to do, to do so. If you want wisdom, look to Jesus. It's really that simple. If you want to walk in this wise way that does not lead to destruction, but leads 
to life. If you want to walk in this way, it's not going to be found in a classroom. It's not going to be found in reading the right book. It's not going to be found in, in repeating the right mantras. It's not found in the power of positive thinking. It's not going to be found in that get-rich scheme. It's not going to be found in that next relationship that you're going to go after. It's, no, it's going to be found in Jesus Christ alone who said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. He is the way of wisdom. Aren't you thankful that when God called us to wisdom, He put wisdom in a person? He put wisdom in the person of Jesus Christ. To know Him is to know wisdom. And to reject Him is to reject the wisdom of God. Because ultimately, let me say this to us as we finish. Ultimately, even if you gain all the things of this world, if you gain all the wealth, all the popularity, all the power, all the prosperity of this world, if you gain all of those things and yet reject Christ, and the Bible says, what will it gain a man if he gains the whole world and yet forfeits his soul? For what can a man give in exchange for his soul? You can gain the whole world and miss Jesus and find it to be utter foolishness. But to walk with Christ, to know Him and the power of His resurrection, to experience the sufferings of His cross, but also the glory of His crown, to walk with Jesus is the way of wisdom. And so I've set before you these two paths according to the Word of God this morning. Our world says there's many paths you can take, and the Bible says, nope, there's really just two. There's the way of wickedness that leads to death and the way of wisdom that leads to life. And this way is bound up in faith in the person of Jesus Christ. Repenting of our sin and trusting in Christ. That's what enables us to walk in the wise way.